Uh, for those who've been uh, on the internet for a while, you will know what a meme is. It's sort of like a funny picture. And uh, a while back, there was a meme uh, called Be Like Bill. Uh, and you, it was basically a stick figure. And I'll, I've got a few examples. Uh, this is Bill. Bill is hungry. Bill makes food and doesn't take a picture of it before eating. Bill is smart. Be like Bill. And uh, they were basically sort of like passive-aggressive memes uh, aimed at the stupidity that is uh, half of social media. Um, Another one. This is Bill. When Bill doesn't know what to say, he simply shuts his mouth. Bill is smart. Be like Bill. Uh, And then this one, just for the the lols. This is Donald. Don't be like Donald. Uh, um, And... Uh, let me tell you that the, the internet is literally full of Bill memes, uh, telling us, introducing us to Bill and telling us that we should be like Bill. And uh, really, uh, perhaps what we have in 3 John is maybe the first ever meme uh, in that it is uh, a letter John writes to his friend Gaius, basically saying to him, uh, this is Diotrephus. Diotrephesis, that guy, Diotrephes, Diotrephes, Diotrephes. Leslie's been trying to get me to pronounce that right ever since Wednesday. This is Diotrephes, be like Diotrephes, don't be like Demetrius. Uh, Or is it the other, no, other way around. It's the other way around. This is Demetrius, be like Demetrius, don't be like Diotrephes, Diotrephes. There we go. The names are so confusing. Uh, that, that, that damn Diotrephes uh, in so many ways. Uh, anyhow, uh, uh, let's carry on and get past my... I'm glad you were listening to the, uh, the Bible reading. That's good. You can correct me as we go, uh, wherever else I go wrong. Uh, this is a personal letter to a friend, and it's different, isn't it, to the other letters? We've had 1 and 2 John, which are really letters to the church uh, in general terms, encouraging them uh, to to hold on to the truth and to live out the truth uh, with love. And uh, this uh, letter is not a a letter that is sent uh, uh, to the whole church. It's It's a particular letter to John's friend Gaius. Uh, and what we notice as well is that this is a letter which uh, partly balances Second uh, John. You remember last week that uh, in 2 John, John says to the church, uh, don't show hospitality to false teachers, don't invite false teachers into your home. Uh, I'll just read to you from verse 10 of 2 John. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is the gospel, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. And in 3 John, we have uh, the opposite encouragement, that is when people come with the gospel, we ought to show hospitality. We ought therefore, uh, 3 John 8, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. And... Uh, there are these three characters, Gaius, who the letter's written to, uh, Diotrephes, who's the bad guy, and Demetrius, the good guy. And uh, I think uh, the, the way I want us uh, to unpack this letter today is by looking through the lens of these 
three people, Gaius, whom the letter is written, and the two examples that John gives to him, uh, one to follow and one to avoid. So Gaius, who is Gaius? Well, unfortunately, we don't really know. Uh, Gaius is a common Roman name. Uh, He could be anyone, kind of anywhere. But what we do know about him, uh, we know from this letter. And really, his main feature is that he is a dear friend of John the Apostle. And we see that uh, in verse 1, 2, 5 and 11. Verse 1, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. You see that this friendship that John has with Gaius built on genuine Christian fellowship based on the truth about Jesus. And of course, this is one of the great gifts of the gospel, isn't it? That uh, no matter how often we've met, uh, no matter how well we might know each other, when we meet a, a, a fellow believer, someone else who's had their life radically reshaped by the gospel, we start uh, at this deeper place of unity and common, uh, commonality than any other person in the world. Uh, I've had some great friends, people, friends of mine who live in Cambodia or friends of mine who uh, live in Australia but who speak uh, mainly Mandarin and hardly any English. Uh, we've had great friendships, even though our ability to kind of, you know, talk about the footy uh, is limited, we, we, we've had an, enough in deep commonality because of the gospel that means we, we've known that we're on the same page. Perhaps you've experienced something like that before when you you might have moved churches or moved states or been on holidays and and turned up to a church and you felt the welcome and the friendship of of Christians there and you kind of go, I belong here. These are my friends. We're on on the same page. And this is how it was for John and Gaius. We don't know, but it's likely that they hadn't spent a lot of time together uh, and, uh, but what they share in common is this deep bond of the gospel. He's also a dear friend whom John cares about. Verse 2, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. This uh, Gaius, this dear friend of John's, uh, and so John cares about his health and well-being. He's essentially saying, I hope that your physical well-being may be as good as I hear your spiritual well-being is, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, this can be an important correction for some some of us. I remember once uh, when I was uh, a little bit younger and I went to my friend's youth group and uh, the the youth leader there uh, asked me when I arrived with my friend, how are you? And I said, oh, yeah, pretty good. And my friend said, I've read the Bible six times. And, and I thought to myself, that's a weird answer to the question, how are you? And what I figured out is that that's actually what they meant uh, when they asked, how are you? Uh, they, they, they literally sort of only cared about your spiritual disciplines that they were trying to grow in the youth group. Now, 
that's probably a helpful corrective for a whole bunch of us, but this kind of was like swinging the pendulum all the way uh, in, in the other direction because, as we see here, Christian fellowship means that we have a concern for our friend's spiritual life, yes, but their physical life does matter as well. We do need to know, like, how we're going, like, what's going on with our bodies and our, our sicknesses and the, the, the sin that uh, is causing these physical bodies of ours to, to waste away. But of course, it is spiritual well-being that John is primarily concerned about and this uh, gives him great joy. It gave me great joy, verse 3, when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He'd much prefer if he was forced to choose, that Gaius be sick but alive in the Gospel. He wishes him well physically and yet the joy comes from knowing that he's well spiritually. He's faithful to the truth but not only that, verse 5, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. He's a dear friend who's faithful not only in the truth, but in his love for fellow Christians. And what a surprise that John would write a letter to Gaius and commend him for what? Truth and love. He's able to express Christian hospitality even to those he doesn't know well. And we, we see in verses 6 through 8 that it seems like he's uh, uh, welcomed possibly people who've been sent by John to uh, the church where Gaius is, is a part of it and uh, he has, he's loved them well, he's uh, provided them hospitality. Let's have a look, verse 6. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore show, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Essentially, what, what John is doing here is he's, he's commending Gaius for his loving and generous support of missionaries. Uh, what the early church would do is send people uh, out to preach the gospel like uh, we see with Paul and his missionary journeys and uh, what they would do is not seek support from those they went and preached to but rather find support either by starting up a side business, uh, in Paul's case tent making, or uh, receiving support from the sending church. And they did this primarily to distinguish themselves from uh, the, the culture of the day. See, back in those days, they didn't have Netflix to kind of entertain them and pay a subscription to uh, so that they could uh, fill their minds with uh, mostly mindless drivel. I'm guilty of filling my mind with the same stuff. Uh, nonetheless... What they did have was visiting kind of philosophers and uh, rhetoricians uh, who would come into town and you would kind of pay them 
to learn about the, their, their smartness and, and their rhetoric and their philosophies and their mysticisms. And, and this, was, this, was, this was how you were entertained. Like, that's how you entertained yourself in the first century if you lived in one of these Roman cities. You listened to people talk and you engaged with it with your mind. And so, and what would happen is you, you, if you were one of these people, you'd then sort of say, hey, if you kind of like what you hear, give me some money. And that was how they made their living. But of course, Christians who are in a culture where they're likely to be sort of categorised like the same as these rhetoricians and, 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 and mystics, they want to follow the command of Jesus in, say, like Matthew, uh, where he says in verse 8 of chapter 10, freely you have received, now freely give. They want to go and show that they're different, that their message is a, a, a grace-filled message. And so to demonstrate the grace of the gospel, they, they share it freely. And, uh, and when you understand the gospel, you then support the work of sharing it to others freely. That was the early church's mode of operation. And for Gaius, someone who's understood the truth and is seeking to live it out, this means showing hospitality to visiting gospel preachers sent by the apostles uh, to show to his town that he's on their side, that he supports them, that he stands with them. And we should do likewise. Sending and supporting people to places that need to hear the gospel. So he's a dear friend who's faithful to the truth, who acts out the truth in love. He's also a, a dear friend who is encouraged to continue in the manner in which he has uh, already started. Dear, verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Gaius is doing great. He's supporting missionaries. He's faithful in his love of his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's holding fast to the truth. Yet John wants him to make sure he continues to stick with God because evil is all around and it will need to constantly be avoided. And one of the ways that evil rears its ugly head is with these false teachers that John, through 1 John and 2 John, has been constant to remind the church to avoid and now he reminds Gaius to avoid them too. And particularly this fellow called Diotrephes. And that's his name now, even if it's pronounced wrong. Verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call to attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Here we have a false teacher who's got himself into a power position in the local church and who needs to be confronted and dealt with. He loves to be first. He refuses to welcome John and the apostles' teaching about Jesus. And he's spreading lies about John. 
He's not showing hospitality, especially to other Christians, perhaps whom the apostle has sent when they come to town. And worse than that, when other Christians, presumably like Gaius, try and do the right thing, Diotrephes kicks them out of the church. Hey, don't show hospitality to them, you're meant to be on my side, where about this, stop doing that, get out of here. It's hard to reconstruct exactly what was going on, but it seems, it seems that Diotrephes was this, yeah, this leader, resisting apostolic authority and seeking his own power and self-service above all else. He was spreading lies about John and refusing to, to, to love John and his associates. He is a classic example of a Christian failing to truly live out to, to the two values that John cares so deeply about. The truth and love. It's interesting too though that uh, though he's spreading lies and though he's uh, not acting in a, in a, in a loving way... John doesn't actually condemn him for false teaching per se. He doesn't say, this Diotrephes is a... He keeps spreading a false gospel. Now, we don't know uh, what exactly was going on, but it seems like maybe he was one of these insidious false teachers who knows kind of how to say the right things. You know, maybe he, maybe he was on about the right stuff and yet uh, in his behaviour, uh, in the way he acted, in the way he exercised power and authority, he refused to do so in a way that was based on truth and love. And we've got to be even more careful in the 21st century about potentially pedestalling people who might say, seem to be sounding like they say the right things, but who, when we examine their lives, are clearly not living lives based on truth and love. And so John says, don't be like this guy, don't be like Diotrephes. Instead, be like Demetrius. Verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. Gaius is a dear friend whom John wants to stick to the truth. And so he offers up Demetrius as an example, uh, as a contrast to that of Diotrephes. And why is it that John chooses to highlight Demetrius? Because, as is clear in verse 12, his life is evidence that a life that is lived on the basis of the truth of the gospel and uh, the truth lived in love, this sort of life, it cannot be hidden. 
like what Jesus says about a, a, a city on a hill, a light uh, that can't, you can't put a lampshade over it. That w- when your life is transformed by the power of the gospel, it shows, and people notice. Demetrius was clearly a well-known Christian whose life was transformed by the gospel. And let me just offer to you some speculative hope about Demetrius. And that's all I can say it is because, of course, we don't know for sure. But you might remember that back in week one of this series, I said that it's likely that after the destruction of Jerusalem, John found himself based in Ephesus. And it's likely that this is from where he wrote the book. Well, in Acts chapter 19, we read about the gospel going to Ephesus. Paul preaches the gospel there and there's so many people coming to Christ that uh, the worship of the goddess uh, Artemis uh, starts to be... um, it's, it's going down. People are not going to the temple anymore. And worse than that, people are no longer buying stuff to take to the temple. And people get annoyed about that. People get really annoyed about that. Let me read to you what happens in verse, from verse 23 of Acts 19. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, bought in a lot of business for craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. And of course, they end up causing such a fuss that they kick Paul out. Now, we don't know for sure, but perhaps it could be the case that Demetrius the silversmith in the town of Ephesus, where the gospel was working powerfully, one day became convinced of the said gospel. And instead of being someone who uh, was driving God's people away, had his life so transformed that he went from this riot-inducing silversmith to someone who lived out the truth and love of God so powerfully that John would send him with this letter to Gaius as an example of the kind of life change that happens when you live your life on the truth and love of the gospel. Now, we don't know for sure. That's, that's, pure, that's one of those pure scholar speculations, but I thought it was kind of like a potentially cool enough story because it's the kind of story that is true. We know that that is exactly the kind of thing that the gospel can do in people's lives. The Apostle Paul, a great example. Our own lives, a great example. 
And regardless of whether it's the same Demetrius, the fact remains that the Demetrius we meet here in 3 John lived his life according to God's word and is commend by, commended by other Christians, even John himself. He is a good example for us to follow. Well, we'd love to know more, wouldn't we? We'd love for John to continue telling us what he wants guys to do and how he wants guys to live. But instead, John wants to come in person and encourage Gaius and rebuke Diotrephes. And so now he simply sends his peace and greetings to finish. I have much to write to you, but I do not, I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And so, John's letters, and 3 John in particular, finishes there with so much more to say. And we can wonder what it might have been like when John eventually made it to this town and saw Gaius and was welcomed by him and confronted Diotrephes. But lest I fill this sermon with too much speculation... Let me conclude with a challenge laid out by one scholar as he finishes and reflects. The challenge to us now is how much are we really prepared to let Jesus change us? Is it to be my will or his? On this will, on this will depend the ultimate verdict, whether we will be proved to be frauds or followers. The question is, who is at the centre of our life? Is it self, with its longing to be first, to be number one? Or is it Christ, enabling us to keep faithful and to continue walking in the truth? There is still no issue with greater or more far-reaching implications for the church or for the Christian. Is it you or Jesus that rules your heart? Think about that. Reflect upon it and ask for God's help. Amen.